Peter, welcome to our program today. Before beginning our discussion about the Delians for dinner, please share with our listeners a few words about yourself and your background. Sure. I uh, was born in the uh, Chicago area and live here now with my family. I'm a lawyer in Chicago. I have a litigation practice in downtown Chicago, and I argue cases to the state and federal courts uh, in Chicago as well as in other cities around the country. Your new book is titled Dandelions for Dinner. What is the book about and what story is being told? Sure. About 10 years ago, my father, who spent his career in in the Chicago area as an electrical engineer, uh, retired. He and my mother began heading down for the winters to Florida and spending their time there. And we began to ask him what exactly happened to him when he was a child growing up in Greece. We knew little about it. We knew, of course, that he was born in a town called Gargayani, Greece, which is in Peloponnesos in the state of Messinia. And we knew that he had come to the United States in 1946. He had been born in 1933, so that made him 13 years old when he came to the United States. But we really knew little else, and it was something that he had never talked about. So he seemed to like the idea and started sending me on a legal pad stories that he had handwritten of some of the events of his youth. And I took them and thought that it would be something nice to preserve in some manner for our children. It didn't take long before I realized that he had lived through quite an ordeal as a young man, as a young boy with his family and that he, along with so many other Greeks and a whole country really, who lived through those times of the 1930s and the 1940s in Greece, had survived so much way beyond anything that we had ever imagined. So in essence, this wasn't just an autobiography, but this whole process of putting the story together was an example of discovery of sorts as you found out all of these fascinating things about your father's background and history. Yeah, absolutely. We we had, as I said, just set out to essentially, in a way, give him something to do as he was in Florida. But as everything began to unfold, we realized that what we had was uh, just an absolutely compelling story of survival, of the Greek character, uh, Greek charisma, philotimon, the war, so many things. And at that point, as I started getting these stories, the, the project really took on, Michael, a life of its own. And I began setting aside one to two hours every day to write and organize uh, the material that I was getting from my father. And what the end result of that was is this book called Dandelions for Dinner. The name comes from what the family had to eat during the very lean years of the 1930s and the 1940s. During that time, so many people in Greece were struggling to keep themselves fed, and particularly, Michael, during the war. When the war hit Greece, when World War II hit Greece, the Italians, of course, invade Greece through Albania, they're pushed back, and then to bail out his friend Mussolini, Hitler orders the invasion of Greece. When that happened, and when the country became occupied by both the Italians and the German armies, the entire food supply in Greece had been disrupted. It had been difficult enough keeping everybody fed in the 1930s, but when the war began, it became nearly impossible. And in fact, I, I've heard different figures, but anywhere from 250 to some 300,000 people in Greece died from starvation alone during those times. Particularly vulnerable were people living in the cities. Those who lived in the countryside or up in the villages had farming, they had some animals, they had gardens and 
and so forth, they had a way to survive. But people in cities, and it seemed the bigger the city, the more difficult, really had a hard time surviving. So you saw people starving to death and falling on the streets in cosmopolitan Athens. And even in a town like Gargagliani, which at the time was populated by some 8,000 people, now perhaps I'm told there's three or 4,000 people that live in the town. But even in places like that, where you had people living in cities, those people were relying on food coming in. And when you had invading armies trying to intercept that food, it became very hard for people to have enough food to eat. So that really is one of the themes of the book and one of the major difficulties that this family, this one particular family, as well as so many other families in Greece, faced during those years. Now, before we get into a deeper discussion about the story, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time that you have written a book. What was the process like to actually write all of these stories out into an autobiography and then to take the story and to get it published and released? Sure. Well, as I said, our plans at the beginning were small, and that was to preserve for my children and my nieces and nephews and their children what happened to my father, their grandfather, during those years. But quickly I began to realize that the story was compelling and riveting and was something that was much larger than we had set out to do. So I was receiving pages and setting aside an hour, hour and a half every morning, organizing, writing, rewriting. Then there was a process of interviewing him because I would get a story. He would tell me about some events and I would say, well, what happened? He said, well, we went there and we left. Something very bland. I'd say, well, you got to tell me more. Well, that's about it. Tell me what, what they said. And then I would have him tell me what they said in Greek. And then it would all come out and I'd get the detail. And as he was speaking in Greek, what everybody said and what happened, I would write down, you know, on my laptop in English, exactly what happened. So at the end, we had a book, we had a draft of it, and we went through and we edited and re-edited. And there were some 12 drafts of the entire book that were read and reread and had other editors read it and reread it. And then it was with the publisher, a publisher that we struck a deal with out of Indianapolis. Their editor went through it, and he was a historian who was very familiar with the war and the Balkans and World War II and the era. And uh, at the end of the day, you end up with a book. You know, I always wondered how people can sit down and put so many pages. This book is some 350 pages, so many pages together on one subject to form a book. But if, but if you do enough every day and you do a little here and a little there, pretty soon you have a lot. And that's what happened to us. In returning to the story itself, you describe in great detail, of course, the hardships and the experiences of people in Greece during the Nazi occupation and then during the violent civil war which followed that occupation. And without giving away too much of the story, what are some particularly striking experiences that stood out to you uh, that you shared with readers in the book? Well, it's interesting. This town was occupied. Gargagliani was occupied by the Italian army. And my father's family lived in a house in Gargagliani that they had inherited from my father's grandfather, who was the priest in the town. He was the great Papa Sarandis. And when the Italians entered the town, they came in and they took over many houses to quarter their troops. And they took over this house that this family, my father's family, lived in. And they walked in one day and they said, okay, this this is a pretty big house. We're going to nail this door shut and you and your family can live on this side and uh, the army is going to be on the other side. And by the way, this basement that you have is a pretty nice size. We're going to take that and we're going to uh, turn it into our jail. So that's what they did. And so they took over half the house. They took over the basement. The basement became the jail. But in order to survive, and this family, 
I don't want to give too much away, but the heart and soul, if this family was going to survive, it was going to rest on the shoulders of my grandmother, my father's mother, who was the brains and the brawn of the entire operation. My grandfather was a wonderful man. He was a very passive man. And my grandmother, Nitsa Stamatis, was a real fireball. And so she was the kind of person who could, uh, in, in any given situation, come up with a way to survive it. So when they were starving and the Italians were in jail in the basement, they were using the jail to jail their, the soldiers who were disobedient or who went AWOL or whatever the soldiers did that would warrant some sort of discipline. She would talk to the soldiers through the door and became the courier for them. Some of the soldiers had uh, girls in the town that they wanted to communicate with, and all the, you know they were giving my my grandmother notes, and she was hiding them in her dress, and then running and delivering the notes. And in exchange for that, she was getting uh, baskets of food to feed her family. And this is the sort of thing, and the sort of uh, way that this family survived. And it was through my grandmother's. I learned as we were doing this project through my grandmother's wit and uh, craftiness and creativity that she was able to get the family from year to year. Now, more than just being a memoir of your father's experiences during those difficult times, the story also intends to share a more uplifting message of hope and freedom and the importance of family. What would you like your readers to take away from this story? Well, one of the things that my father has said as we've talked about it is that despite the terrible situation that the family found themselves in, life went on and life goes on and people keep living. And that all the lessons that were taught of family, of faith, of friendship, those are the tools that got this family through those tough times. In addition to that, it's a story, it is a story of great hope. And one of the great sources of hope, well, hope was the fuel that got this family through these tough times. And one of the sources of that hope was the hope that they would leave Greece, that they would leave the country and go to somewhere better, that though they were stuck in this situation that was pretty horrible, that it was only temporary because they and God in particular had much bigger plans from them because because after the war, war, they would be leaving Greece and going to the United States. My grandfather had lived in the United States in the 1920s and had uh, intended on never going back to Greece, but through a twist of fate and some events that happened in the Depression here, he was forced to return to Greece around 1930, and hence my father was born in Greece in 1933. So the hope of America and the importance of America was always there in front of them, and really served as a fuel that kept them going and kept the lamps going on those lean, cold, and dark nights. Since that time, your father has returned back home to Greece. And what has he observed that has changed since that time? Obviously, of course, the war ended, Greece recovered. But what difference has time made, the passage of time, between that time period when before he left and the modern day today? You know, it's funny. When he left, he left a town and a country that had been through the ravages of a war and that had seen Italian occupation, had seen German occupation, and then what is worse, had seen Greek killing Greek in the subsequent civil war that followed. So when he left, that's the Greece that he left, and particularly that's the Gargagliani that he left in 1946. So when he goes back, he sees a different place. He sees people there 
who appear to have no memory at all of what happened, or people that certainly moved on from what happened, but I think that because he left when he did, those memories and the memories of those events have remained ingrained in him all of these years. So I think when he's there, he really has nothing in common, frankly, with the people there who seem, you know, again, oblivious to the things that happened so many years ago, and nothing in common, and really, oddly enough, not a lot of nostalgia for the area. Many people, and, and me in a lot of ways, I, I've been to Greece, and for me, Greece, I've been there many, many times, and for me, it's a vacation. It's a playground. It's where we go to relax and to sort of leave our troubles here behind for a short time. But for him, it's a reminder of all the things that he had to live through and that he saw and that he felt at that time. And for him, I think it's, it's always returning, is always, especially to Gargagliani in particular, if you go to the islands and all that, or even other areas in Greece, it's beautiful, you have a nice time. But when he returns to Gargagliani, I do think it's it's always sort of bittersweet. Now, what has the response been to the book from critics and also from the Greek-American community in general? You, you know, the response has been well beyond anything I, I ever imagined. Just yesterday, a professor who had read the book said, you know, I, I thought the book was about your dad and about your family, but it's about so much more. It's about Greece. It's about philosophy. And, and really, it's about a microcosm of life. Others who have read it, and Greeks and non-Greeks alike, have really had, had just such a fantastic response to it. Some people have even said to me, non-Greeks have said to me, I guess it gives you a sense perhaps of the times we live in, I didn't know Greece was in World War II, you know? There's such an antiseptic or understanding of history there that some people think, you know, World War II was the Germans and the Auschwitz and the American army uh, storming the beaches in Normandy. Most people, or many people, don't have a sense of the scope of it and how a small family in the middle of nowhere in southwest Greece suffered so much as a, as a result of it. So the response has been tremendous. We've been invited really all over the country. We're, we're, we'll be out west in the fall. We'll be in the southwest uh, or the southeastern United States after the first of the year. We have a number of events in the Midwest scheduled for the entire summer, and we'll be in New York and, and really just all over the country talking about the book. One of the really nice things that, that we've experienced is that the, at our book events, where we go and we talk about the book and our project, inevitably there are others who come who have lived through that era, who get up and oftentimes tell their own stories and things that they saw and things that they survived. And these events really turn out to be beautiful and an opportunity for so many people who live with really live with a lot of wounds to get together and to talk about and to perhaps even heal a little bit in talking about what's happened over the years and what they had to survive. To wrap up, where can our listeners find out more details about the book and also about the upcoming presentations and tours that will take place? Sure. They can visit us on Facebook at Demodis Authors. That's really one of the best places to get really the up-to-the-minute, up-to-date information. Demodis Authors on Facebook. They can also visit us at dandelionsfordinner.com with his ordering instructions there how to get a hold of the book. The book is available at other retailers and online and it's all set forth on the website and most questions or all questions are pretty much answered there. Wonderful. Well, Peter, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us and to share the story and this information about your book with us. Oh, you're very welcome, Michael, and thank you so much for having us on your show, too. We really appreciate it, and, and what you're doing with your shows are really wonderful. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. All the best.